Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Mafedon. Thanks for tuning in. Last Saturday, immigrants who call Boston home took a big step towards U.S. citizenship with the help of Project Citizenship. Applying for U.S. citizenship can definitely be a daunting and painstaking process. Emma Fernanda Molina. But luckily last Saturday, help was just a call away as the Reggie Lewis Center opened its doors once again for the ninth annual Citizenship Day in Boston. Immigrants eligible for naturalization made appointments to meet one-on-one -on -one with law students and pro bono attorneys for help filling out their citizenship applications. We're going to fill out this application today, and then the attorneys are going to help make sure it gets filed in um, and the process goes through. It's kind of hard just sitting there doing the application to recognize how, how big of a, like a moment it is sometimes, um, because like this is just really a few minutes, and it's filling out the application, but there's so much more of what immigrants do around just this because all of them have like long stories about family and how they got here and moved here and what their hopes are for moving forward. So I'm just here to be as compassionate as I can and making sure that like they know that they have friendly faces around them to help with that long process because it really is a long, long process. This is just a little step really. A joint effort of the Mayor's Office for Immigrant Advancement and Project Citizenship, organizers did everything in their power to eliminate barriers and provide resources long after individual appointments. I'm actually very appreciative of the people who are helping here because before coming here I was very scared because everyone made it seem like it was going to be like a tough process but everyone here is very open-minded and very like comfortable to speak with so I really appreciate that they were very friendly. Over 300 volunteers are here today to make this whole day happen from everything from doing registration to helping people fill out the paperwork and also helping with screening and registration and greeting. Another thing that's really important about this event is we're making it language accessible. So for people who are learning English, they might have the fear that their English is not good enough, but a lot of times the English is, is proficient for them to actually go through the process and for you to even get classes. So we can connect you to continue classes, but then also there's, there's people who are bilingual here to help with the application, especially for people who are elders who can actually get a waiver from taking a test in, um, in uh, fully English and they can do it in their own uh, home language. Around 30,000 Boston residents are eligible for U.S. citizenship. Fear and cost of the process have kept many from moving forward. But for those seeking help on Saturday, the benefits of citizenship, which include voting, access to education, and peace of mind from deportation, are more than worth it. I don't want to live as an, as an outside insider. I've been part of this system for quite some time. So I want to be involved. I want to be involved in every way, deciding who <coughs> governed me, uh, deciding, uh, being vocal enough on issues that affect me, and, uh, and the security that comes with just being, is being fully part of a system, not partially part of it, I think is critically important. I come from Africa. America is a dream country for most of us. Um, I'm here purposely. I was doing well back home, but I'm here purposely for my children, my daughter, especially because the offer, the system of education is so beautiful. The, um, the healthcare system is wonderful and all that. So I want her to leave the dream world 
the world that we have out here in America. That's really what citizenship means. Feel at home where you are comfortable. No oppression, no suppression. You have the right to do whatever you want to do and so on and stuff like that. America offers that to its citizens. I want to be one of them. The immigrants from today are hoping to make Massachusetts a permanent home. Of the world's 195 countries, 190 are represented here in Massachusetts. Reporting from Roxbury, I'm Faith Mathedon with BNN News. Those returning home after incarceration can face a number of hardships once they're released. But Haley House in Roxbury is determined to ease these growing pains with community, love, and food. A home-cooked meal, good conversation, and a shared mission of uplifting those who need a helping hand. This was all happening on Thursday inside the Haley House in Roxbury. Haley House, a food justice nonprofit, has been a beacon of light for those who have faced socioeconomic struggles. And their new program, Life Foundations Training, or LIFT, is guiding the path for those who have been released from incarceration. The common uh, thing is to come together to uh, to help to help the men and women that comes home from prison, you know, to re-enter to society and be a uh, be a better person, you know, for the most part. You know, it's tough, but it can happen. Every other week. Haley House collaborates with another nonprofit to bring people together to share stories, offer support, and make a meal together. Jay Villar, program director at Haley House, believes that we can make a difference in each other's lives if we could just sit down and share something together. We try to meet folks exactly where they are and have them identify whatever it is that they're looking for. So, um, so we just hold that space and that conversation um, and then However it is that, they're, that, that they need support, um, hopefully we have that availability and those resources to provide them. So whether that be um, job training, whether that be um, a recommendation for, for housing, whether that be um, some, some job skills or just additional resources, um, Lyft has become that place for folks to come to and drop in, um, know who's, who's going to be at the table, learn from them, meet, meet some, some great people, um, share an awesome meal, um, and if they want to come back and invite folks to you know, be, be part of that community and that fellowship, like those, those individuals are, are more than welcome to join us. This week, Project Place, an organization dedicated to ending homelessness, was their partner. They offer a wide range of social services, from housing to job employment, and building community. Being patient, um, I think building that rapport with people, like not always just talking business, talking about what you're feeling, what you're struggling with, what you're excited about, what your goals and motivation are, giving the person a chance to actually speak their mind and have someone who listens and they can tell that listens can make them believe that they can bring themselves up and that makes themselves believe that they're, they're capable of kind of um, not falling back down into that hole again. People from all aspects of the justice system are taking on this new, more empathetic approach to returning citizens. I think the system just needs like a whole mind shift. Mm -hmm. Like if we've done a lot of great work and great pushes, but like it needs some radical changes still. We call them returning citizens um, and, and coming home for, for, for a reason. Um, we want to make sure that you know, they're, they're coming to a place that they're not feeling as if they're, they're being judged based on you know, their, their story or, or their past, um, that there is a place where they can feel as if you know, people are listening to them and, and, and want to be part of, of their community.
In the seaport, city leaders and students walk through the mass robotics facility, sparking new interest in STEM programs. It seems like robots need a rest every once in a while, too. But robots being robots, and after a quick recharge, they're back up and running. In celebration of National Robotics Week, Mayor Michelle Wu, alongside students from the Elliott School, toured the Mass Robotics Lab to explore this exciting new frontier and see the wide range of benefits that Robototech offers. Mass Robotics has a lot of plans for the future of this tech. From mobility assistance to factory work, robots are certainly a part of our future. But some are hesitant about the implications of introducing new technology to our society. Robots are nothing to fear. They are really being used for good things in the future. So helping with manufacturing, as I said, nobody wants to work in a factory doing the same thing over and over and doing these repetitive tasks. We have a labor shortage here in the U.S. Nobody wants to work in, in some of these dull, dirty, and dangerous jobs. And so that's really what the tasks of robots will be. They'll also be helping with mobility. So people who can't get around, people who need you know, extra help with, with walking. There are so many good things that robots can do. Mass Robotics has revolutionized the robotics industry. So far, they've collaborated with 18 world-class institutions, creating more than 35 robotics R&D programs across the state with the goal of exposing young minds to the STEM field. A lot of the technologies will help people who either lost the ability to do something like walk or talk or work, come back and be able to do things and do them probably differently, but in some ways, in ways that are better for them or better for their industry. And I think that is so cool when you start to think about how opening and how many opportunities this technology can bring people. That's, that's so exciting. The important thing to remember, humans will always need other humans. And no matter how advanced robots become, nothing can replace human connection. Robots make our lives easier, or should make our lives easier. And what's very interesting is how we get robots to do the things that we want them to do um, without it feeling like we don't need each other anymore. Because humans still need each other, robots just fulfill a different role. We turn now to Coils to Locks, our first featured business in our new BNN segment, Small Business Spotlight. See how sisters and Coils to Locks co-founders, Diane Austin and Pamela Shattuck, created purpose from pain by expanding the diversity of the wig industry. Coils to Locks was created based on my personal cancer journey and I'm doing well now, but in 2015 I was diagnosed with breast cancer and as part of that, process of treating the cancer, I learned that chemotherapy was one of the treatments. And my oncologist met with me and he said, the type of chemotherapy that we're going to, going to use is going to make your hair fall out. He opened up my, my eyes to this whole world or industry that I didn't know existed around medical hair loss and wigs for medical hair loss called cranial prostheses, and he wrote a wig prescription for me, and he said I could take it to any cancer center, boutique, or retail store. Again, this is an industry I didn't know existed, and I could get a wig. I was looking for a tightly coiled, kinky type of wig, something that looked like my hair. 
And what I found was that these cancer center boutiques did not carry these types of wigs. They only sold straight hair wigs for patients with medical hair loss. So I began looking outside of Boston with the help of my sister Pamela. We called hospitals across the nation, major hospitals that had these cancer center retail stores. And they said, no, we don't sell these wigs. And so we found that this was a systemic problem. It was very frustrating for me because I was trying to fly under the radar. I did not want everyone to know that I was that I had cancer and I was going through this treatment. You know, some women just want to like shave their hair and wear it bald. Some women may want a coily, curly wig like what we offer. And some women may be satisfied with wearing scarves, but don't feel pressure into like conforming. Do what you feel is best for you. I literally said to Pamela, I want to do something about it. I want to start a business. Are you in with me? And she's like, absolutely. And that's how Coastal Locks is born. I've been on this journey with her from the beginning, pre idea pre-launch um, and so it's just been a powerful and wonderful uh, at the same time experience going on this journey together. When a woman wears a coils to locks wig I would want them to feel empowered, seen and heard because someone uh, has created a product that um, fits their needs and suits their, their needs and their style um, and that looks like them. We already knew that um, we didn't own this space as black women, as black people, but we are um, the strongest consumers in this space. By 86%, black women in particular are driving the market. It's just really important to us to be changing that, that story and changing that narrative and creating a space along with other women who are, are coming up, black owned beauty brands, to um, start to grab a, a piece of that pie. Diane and I are just grateful that we are being used in this way. You know, we didn't wake up in the morning and say, we want to start our business and sell some wigs or whatever. You know, the business was born out of Diane's lived experience uh, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I personally wish she never got that diagnosis, but we were able to turn those lemons into lemonade. For any woman who's who's thinking about starting a business or just wants to be more supportive in her community or whatever, just, just look to solving uh, people's pain points um, and doing that authentically and sincerely, sincerely and, you know, um, the rest will unfold the way it's supposed to unfold. For more information on Coils to Lock wigs, coilstolocks.com. If you have a business you'd like to spotlight, you can email us at bnnnews at bnnmedia.org. Akiba Abaka is a distinguished director, dramatist, producer, actor, and arts educator with two decades of experience in the arts and culture industry. She's a creative producer at Arts Emerson, the professional presenting and producing theater at Emerson College, where she's creator of the Play Reading Book Club, established in 2014. Abaka joined us in studio with Play Reading Book Club participant Paula Elliott to discuss the power of plays and why theater is a school of empathy. Here's our conversation. Uh, Akiba, I'd love to get started um, talking about the vision behind the Play Reading Book Club. Um, what, what led you to, to start it and what are some of the plays that you're diving into for this ninth season? Well, you know, the vision for the Play Reading Book Club 
came from wanting to see more people of color in the theater, to be mm -hmm. totally honest. Mm -hmm. And what the spark that led me uh, to creating the book club came actually about almost 10 years before I even created it. Mm -hmm. And it came from Oprah Winfrey. She used to have, mm -hmm. do you remember her? She used to have the Oprah <laughs> book club, and I think yes. she still does. Mm -hmm. And um, there would be these seals on these books. And there was a, a member of my community who used to do uh, gypsy cabs before Uber. And he would, every time I got in his car, he would always say, I'm in the Oprah book club. <laughs> and she would have him reading like three or four books a week. And I was like, man, I would love to see people chop down plays the way this guy is chopping yeah. down <laughs> books, right? So I was like, what if, it would be so nice if we had a book club where we only read plays. And I think that could be a space where mm -hmm. you know folks in our community could see experience place even if they didn't have to go to the theater That's right. and several years later the opportunity came at arts emerson and we started out at the roxbury branch library mm -hmm. with a play called the trip to bountiful featuring cicely tyson and vanessa williams remember that right. one oh, and blair underwood and, blair. and um we gathered to and, and to basically apply some of the techniques that we use in theater, such as what's called a table read, mm -hmm. which is when actors and directors, when we're about to, because I'm a director by training, and when we were about to start rehearsing or creating a play, we would read the play, we call it tabling it, mm -hmm. right? And so I wanted to create an environment that was part, that kind of homely, fun book club experience, but that rehearsal, professional theater experience and this kind of going out with friends to the theater. So that's kind of the structure of the Play Reading Book Club. Mm -hmm. And it was really about how do we make theater more accessible and exciting and for community members mm -hmm. to, um, to enjoy and, and meet new people and get to know who our writers were who were writing about the African-American experience and other writers. Great, and speaking about accessibility, what has been most rewarding for you to see uh, from the beginning until now? Oh, what a great question. I think among the most rewarding, because there have been many, is how, I never expected that people would come back year after mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And people who participate in the Play Reading Book Club all across the city in Roxbury, from Roxbury to, to Newton, we've had it on the South Shore, they're seeing a lot of theater. I work in the theater and I don't see as much theater as members of the book club see. They're seeing wow. like three and four plays at Arts Emerson alone. They're going to the Huntington. They're going to Speakeasy. The program has caused people to really build up their appetite and, um, and their not only just an appetite for going to the theater, mm -hmm. but they're going more often. Mm -hmm. They're going to New York to see plays on Broadway. They're go, you know, so that's what's been the most rewarding. And then the, the second most rewarding, I shouldn't rank them, but another rewarding aspect is the relationships that are formed. I bet. Through the conversations. Because I have to be honest, these plays are, reflect our lives. Mm -hmm. And in the discussions sometimes, mm -hmm. those discussions about the topics and how they apply to our lives and society today, they get real. Mm. And sometimes it can be difficult, sometimes it can be tough. And what's really rewarding is, to, is when in different groups I've seen there are discussions about a particular topic and it's really tough and people are really pushing themselves 
to understand and to show up and to be in community. And then there comes this breakthrough, hmm. this sense of deciding to leave an idea behind and to enter a new idea, to, a, hmm. to, to experience and in to a certain extent earn a new perspective on life based on the dialogue and the conversation from people in the group. Right. And then there comes this moment of joy. It's like a breakthrough, mm. the difficulty mm. that evokes a joy in understanding. That, that to me just lights me up every time I experience it in the book club. And it's actually why I go, I, I show up, not just as the creator and as an administrator, but as a participant as well. Mm. I'm looking mm. for that joy from the breakthrough. You've been part of the program mm -hmm. since its mm -hmm. first inception in 2014. Mm -hmm. What's been your experience um, being part of the group yeah, and yeah. what has stayed with you? What stayed with me is the, the sense of connectedness that's available to anybody in the group, um, whatever the, the location of the, of the program takes place. Um, we had, a, I think, a really rich foundation in the very beginning at the Roxbury Library. Um, and we've seen, and all of us, I think, have participated as it's, it's grown and, and expanded in various community sites and gone to the online you know, um, opportunity, which really was a lifesaver for the program, be able to continue to during stay connected pandemic, yeah. during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so that, to me, is, is that foundation of having that sense within the group and then having it sort of be experienced in other locations, and then knowing that when I go to the theater, whether it's at Arts Emerson or at the Huntington or any place else, it's likely that I might see somebody or have a conversation. Yes. Um, you know, um, there have been times where I've not been able to participate in all of the, the, the readings. Um, and if the script's available, I'll try to read the script beforehand, but I will still try to get to the production and make sure that I'm able to at least participate post-production because I love the, the conversation that mm -hmm. takes place after we see the play. And for people who say that, you know, I'm not a theater person or might be a little nervous talking about plays, what mm -hmm. words would you have for them? As someone who's come back year after year, mm -hmm. what has kept you coming back? Well, it made me a theater person mm -hmm. because I, well, I was involved in the performing arts. I really hadn't spent much time in theater. So being the, the ways in which I could enjoy theater opened up for me in those conversations. Um, and also because of the, the quality of the community, the sense of expand, an expanding community, I found that I was felt very comfortable in just saying, I never thought about that. I could, I could be more vulnerable in that way, mm -hmm. you know, in the context of, of just being able to be a fully present participant. So, um, and there's always some good food around too. So I mean, so that also helps. But but you know, so there's sort of the the, the social space works very well for that. So um, it, I, it, I think it's 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 worth the leap because of the 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 many rewards that come from it in terms of finding other people that um, are sort of on a similar journey of learning more about theater, um, uh, learning about their own community, learning about other communities that they're they're. There are ample ways for people to um, find ways to hook, to find hooks that, that can open themselves up to, to more opportunities in theater. So our next book club is 
a play called And So We Walked by Delena Studi, who is a Hollywood actress. And it's a play about Delena's journey. She's a Cherokee woman um, and she journeyed along, she retraced the Trail of Tears. She actually followed that entire Trail of Tears with her father. It's a one woman show. We're gonna be studying this play in four locations, Roxbury Branch Library, Chinatown mm -hmm. Branch Library, Boston Centers for Youth and Family in Alston, and online at Arts Emerson. If you're looking for your next career, look no further than the MBTA because they are hiring in a huge way. We invited Tom Wade, Chief Human Resources Officer, to come talk about their exciting roles and the MBTA's upcoming recruitment event on Saturday, April 15th. Enjoy the interview. So uh, to get us started, why should people work for the MBTA? Well, I think um, understanding that uh, the MBTA is a kind of an integral partner as it relates to public service. Um, you know, transportation is a solution not only for uh, individuals getting around socially, but it, it really provides the infrastructure support for employees, employers, and the business community. So we see ourselves vital to that. And a lot of our employees are, are very dedicated to, to that public service and kind of that public commitment. So we're, we're seeing a, a new tide come in for the MBTA, a lot of changes that are about to happen. Sure. There's a new GM who's starting on Monday. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the benefits of working for the MBTA? We've spent a lot of time um, you know, looking at you know, both the, the roles that we need uh, from a safety perspective, prioritizing these jobs, and then identifying also uh, the challenges in this current kind of re resignation hmm. economy. Um, but I think what we also recognize that, you know, a lot of individuals don't know about all the opportunities that the MBTA has. You know, we no longer have a lottery system in hmm. order to, um, to apply. Um, you know, we, um, we have a competitive um, bid process when we post our jobs, um, but it's very streamlined from the days of old. So um, we look forward to you know, receiving uh, new applicants and adding those individuals to our family. And uh, speaking of the aggressive recruiting efforts that are happening, uh, next Saturday, April 15th at 10 a.m. Uh, will be the first mobile recruiting event for the MBTA. It's actually happening in the parking lot of the yes. Jubilee Christian Church in Mattapan on 1500 Blue Hill Ave. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about some of the positions that will be available and what attendees can expect? Sure. So that, that's an exciting uh, new initiative for us uh, where we are um, going out to the communities where both our current employees live and we know where some of our applicants exist. So here's an opportunity for us to share directly with the individuals through this mobile um, retrofitted HR recruiting bus. Ooh. We have uh, my recruiting team, we have hiring managers, lots of volunteers um, to really meet individuals who are looking for you know, opportunities who are um, looking to uh, explore. And um, so at the, on that day, you know, we'll be prepared to receive applicants. We will be re ready to receive, uh, and in some cases, uh, we'll be prepared to make um, on-the-spot offers if individuals are qualified, particularly in our 
bus operator ranks. Um, we have some um, ex other existing opportunities as well, um, but we're looking forward to an exciting, exciting day. That's fabulous. So you can walk in and leave with a job. Absolutely. That's oh. our intent. Fabulous. And um, what prior experience is needed? What does training uh, look like for the MBTA? Sure. So um, the, the, the event actually is going to expose our applicants to all, all of our jobs, not just a particular category. So in some cases, we, you know, some of those jobs do require a bit of experience, um, but we have other jobs that are, you know, if you, know, if you have a clean driving record um, and other pre-qualifications, um, we will train you, yeah. we will certify you, and we will qualify you to be in that seat. That's great. Yeah. And how can our viewers learn more about the open positions, apply and attend Absolutely. the event on the 15th? Sure. So if, uh, primarily if you go to um, mbta.com backslash careers, you can see a list of all of our job opportunities. Um, what you can also do at that career site is you can um, give some indication of some categories of jobs that you're interested in. So if the jobs aren't open at the current time, they will actually be you know, forwarded to you uh, when they are open. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the 15th. That's our broadcast for tonight, Boston. Thanks for tuning in and happy Easter. For BNN News, I'm Faith Amaphidon. I'll see you next Friday.